2 Corinthians chapter 7. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. It says in a different translation, I've spoken frankly to you. I've not had a chance to check the Greek there, but uh, we'll see what happens. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. You may recognize that from the email this week. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside and fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged in addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because in his spirit, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. Hmm. Didn't plan for this passage to come up today. That's what came up on the uh, the plan I did a few months ago. So. Uh, we're going to look very briefly at Paul's relationship with the, with the church. And, and there's a couple of verses in there that I hope we'll, you'll take home and be encouraged by. Paul, we have two letters to the church in Corinth. There were probably several. Because it's a church Paul was linked with and did a lot of work with. And therefore, he would have written to them regularly. And... Letters are often responses to letters to you. And we don't have any letters from the church in Corinth to Paul. So when Paul says, has you wrote to me, we go, I wonder what that was. Or in my last letter, and it's not in 1 Corinthians, you go, yeah. There was probably at least one letter between 1 and 2 Corinthians, maybe two. And there was probably a couple of letters afterwards. Do you know what? We don't actually know. And I don't want to build a whole theory on what we don't know. But clearly, Paul has written a letter to the Corinthians that has upset them. He's provoked them. He's their pastor. He's their church planter. 
He's their pastor. Now look at verses 2 to 4. Can we go back to the beginning? We were, we'll sort of go um, in a straight line. <coughs> yeah, me going a straight line. Paul is pleading with them, make room for us in your hearts. It's a very interesting passage because he's clearly wrestling with this. Because he says, look how devoted you are to us. But here he says, make room for us in your hearts. So he's going, I know in my head that you love me, but I don't feel like it at the moment. Make room for us in your hearts. And he's pleading with them. And then he, he defends himself. You know, we've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. Obviously, there's some, been some accusations flying. Oh, you're doing this selfishly. You're doing it for your own gain. You're doing it. For... We've wronged no one. We've exploited no one. We've corrupted no one. And I don't say this to condemn you. Paul is utterly loyal to them and he loves them so deeply he's willing to challenge them he loves he loves them so much that he doesn't want them walking over the precipice spiritually into nowhere he wants to call them back not his own opinion not because it's for his own gain but come back Come back. And especially if you remember the church in Corinth is quite full of pride. If they think they know that they think they've got it, they think they know where they're at. I pray for a number of my friends who've gone into big churches who have been in charismatic renewal for 30, 40 years. And they stand there and they say this, and the congregation goes, Well, don't tell us what to do. We've done it. We were doing it before you were born, Sonny. Often is the response. But actually, the leader has a different call and a different shape. It's not going to be like it was 40 years ago. Remember the river that Pete and Ian and various other people have talked about, and Jared as well the other day. What, was, what felt like depths previously is now shallows, and we need to move on. Paul is so committed to them. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts we don't understand how emotional this language is for a first century um, rabbi, Pharisee. You have a place in my heart. His emotion is, that's huge. We're a bit more, we're a bit happier with that sort of language now, but back then, no. But he's saying, I love you so much that I'd be, I want to live with you and I'd die for you. But you're wrong in this, this, and this, and I need to tell you. Tell you, when that comes up as a church leader, it's horrible. It really is horrible. Because you love. And you sacrifice and you love and you love. And then you have to go up and go, Fred, this is wrong. I'm choosing Fred because I've never had to do that. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? You know.
we have a thing in the leadership. Assume we're on each other's side. Don't assume we're against each other. Don't assume we're competing. Don't assume that I'm out to get you or you're out to get me. I love you so much. I'm willing to die for you and live with you whatever the cost. Is this Paul speaking or is it me? There you go. That was neither or question. We just the answer is yes. Paul's heart for his people. He's loyal to them. The joy is greater than the trouble. He pleads with them, make room in your hearts. He doesn't want to upset them, but he knows he must challenge them. And he knows they're complaining about him. And he doesn't say, don't challenge me. He doesn't say, don't ask questions. He doesn't say, but don't tell lies. Don't make out forces. I didn't corrupt anybody. You know? I've not wronged anybody. I've not exploited anybody. Can, you, can we move on? I've got great confidence in you. I've got great confidence in you. I have great with faithness, if you remember confidence, in you. Again, you can hear Paul's voice or you can hear mine. It's up to you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. Yeah. It's a joy to lead the people of God in worship. To lead the people of God in obedience to the call. It's flipping frustrating sometimes. But it's a joy. You know, when you get reports back about flipping beech trees and it's frustrating. Or you do what the Lord tells you and no beggar turns up for any... And it's frustrating. Please don't feel guilty. It's just... I'm just being honest. Despite the troubles, there's a joy. And there is a joy. Do you know the average stay of a Church of England vicar in a parish? Average stay? Seven years. Do you know how long I've been here? Don't panic, I'm not about to announce anything. I'm not going anywhere. I was offered a job before Christmas. I didn't even think twice. I just went, oh, no, 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 I'm not done yet. Oh. I'd stop and think and go, oh, I'm not done yet. Oh, that came out of my mouth. Oh, okay. No, not that I was looking for anything. The job came out of left field. Would you be interested in? No. Why would I be? I'm not done. These guys are too important. What we're doing is too important. We're not finished. If that means I'm here till I'm 70, then I'm not finished. Promise you. Chris will still be doing youth work then. <laughs> Isn't it great looking at the band? And, and Johnny's the old man in the band. No offence, brother. <laughs> but isn't that good? So thank you. Where are the other two? Have they gone out? Oh, bless them. 
making weird noises in my direction now. <laughs> it's fine. When we came into Macedonia, but the, look at what the Corinthians had done. When we came into Macedonia, I was, I was knackered and hard-pressed on every side. Sorry, this is my translation. But this body of ours had no rest. I was knackered. I was out of energy and hard-pressed. Keep going. But God who comforts the downcast. I love that. What a throwaway phrase. Oh, but God that comforts the downcast. Bang, move on. Hang on. God comforts. It's not God might, God will if you. It's God comforts the downcast. Do you feel downcast sometimes? Yep. Well, he's the God of all comforts and he will comfort you. Do you know why we, ne- we don't feel comforted often? Because we're going, I feel rotten, I feel awful, I feel... And we're not actually opening ourselves to what he wants to comfort us with. He's offering comfort. It's normally us not receiving it. Especially when he offers it in a way that we don't like it. Or in a way we don't want it. Because we want... Actually, what we look for is we want to comfort our flesh. That's why you comfort eat, comfort drink, whatever it is. Or some of you comfort exercise. I do not understand that one, but there are people out there that do that. But and what we're doing is trying to make our flesh feel better. Where God wants our spirit to feel better. And sometimes those flesh things to melt away. It's not comfortable. But the comfort he brings is deep and lasting. Well, eternally lasting. Comforted us by the coming of Titus. Look, an individual comes. The Corinthians have encouraged Paul through an individual. And many of you have with me. You've come and individuals encourage me. Thank you for your email. Thank you how well you wrote your email. Alongside the emails. You know? But the individual encouragement is huge. But but also the fact that the comfort you had given him. And then he told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. So Paul's provoked them, upset them, but they clearly still love him as well. I love the email I got recently that said, I don't agree with anything you've written, and I know you won't take a blind bit of notice of me. It said, I promise you, I'll show you the email if you want. You won't take a blind bit of notice of me, but just because we disagree doesn't mean we're not still friends. Okay, fine. Person is right. (laughs) but we're still friends because we're still brother and sister in the Lord. So we're still family. We're not just friends, we're family. Blood-bought family, whether we agree or disagree. But here, here is that testimony that encourages Paul. So Paul is absolutely devoted to the church, but the Corinthians respond to him. The encouragement counters his feeling and his experience. Next. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a while. Now I'm happy because you were made sorry, but because not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended and were not harmed in any way by us. They have to choose. The Corinthians have to choose whether to be offended by Paul's letter 
or challenged by Paul's letter. They don't choose whether to be hurt or not, because challenge can bring hurt. But it's whether the hurt turns into offence and then rejection. Or whether they go, I don't like that, but he's right. Gritted teeth is always fine as a starting place. Gritted teeth is never fine as a finishing place. You know, it's, but it's, it's, that's where you start. And they've, and they've come to repentance. And Paul's going, it's not because I upset you, Chris, Ruth, it's not because I upset you, but because through what I said, you came to hear what God was saying. It's fine. I'm sure your mum wouldn't mind. I think she's told the story many times. When Maggie gave Vicky the word that caused the process of ordination to start, I'd been poking for a while, <laughs> going, have you thought about, have you thought about, hadn't we? Have you thought about, and Debbie's going, you should think about, have you thought about? And then Maggie has a word, and it's one word, and she's checked it with me first, which offended Vicky that, it would be checked with me first. But Maggie knew how strong the word was. And of course, when Maggie chaired it with me, I went, yeah, go on, quick, go on. And the word was, just one word, ordination. And Vicky described it yesterday as, she may as well turned around and told me to off. Because what she heard was, we don't want you here anymore. Go. Lord, you know, and she was deeply offended by it, but she chose not to be. She was deeply hurt by the word of the Lord. You know why the word of the Lord hurts? Because it cuts into our flesh. And the flesh is the stuff that needs to fade away. And I'm glad Vicky chose not to be offended. I hate the ordination process in the Church of England because it means you send away your best people. It's a pain in the what's-its. Because you want to keep your best people and have them in your... Bye. And I'll tell you now, I didn't finally let go of Vicky until yesterday in the middle of the cathedral. Because it's like... She's too good. I want her back. All right, Lord. Okay. Seeing her singing with Pete in the with an incumbent, just like yeah, go for it, go for it. The Corinthians are committed to Paul as well. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. Paul has provoked the church, but he's not sorry because he's done it from love. He's done it guided by the Holy Spirit to bring repentance. And I want to come into land on verse 10. Because I want, to see how, want you to see how important this is. We've got all this stuff about Paul and the church and leaders and the church. It's fine. But guys, if we don't take verse 10 to heart, we will die. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Paul is not saying don't be sad. You're bereaved, and you can be bereaved in many ways. You can lose, lose a person, family member, friend, child, all that sort of stuff, and, it, and it's horrible. But you can also be bereaved because you 
have to let go of someone because they're leaving. You can be bereaved because you've moved house. You can be bereaved because you've been sacked or the business has gone belly up or whatever it is. Bereavement can come in so many different ways. Godly sorrow brings repentance. So when we bring our sorrow to God and let him work through it, we can be released from it. That doesn't mean we're sad because the person has, we, we stop being sad because the person has died. Or we stop being sad because we're in a different place. That's okay. But it's when that sadness and that sorrow infects everything else. I was talking to a friend a few days ago about someone who's getting divorced. And the divorce has been going on a while, and it's affecting all this lady's other relationships and friendships. It's affecting her relationships with family. It's affecting her relationships with work, and goodness knows what else. Where actually, do we want the divorce to happen? No. But if she was to bring it to the Lord and not let it affect everything else, her life wouldn't be as sorrowful. Because what she's witnessing is death of joy, death of friendship death of all these other things because worldly sorrow brings death and that's what I want to leave us on this morning not worldly sorrow brings death but that we have a choice worldly sorrow is offense and anger and the hurt godly sorrow is the hurt and the repentance and the restoration Outcome is encouragement.